The spirit and resiliency of the Cajun people emerged from trial, hardships, and a global journey. Dr. Mark Reese and the New Acadia Project are searching for the original settlement of the Acadian people who came to call Louisiana home. Unique, mysterious, untamed. These are just a few words that describe Louisiana's Atchafalaya Basin. I'm Caroline Byrne, Assistant Director for the Atchafalaya National Heritage Area. Join me on an adventure through the wild and rich culture and landscape of the Atchafalaya, America's foreign country. America's Foreign Country is produced by the Atchafalaya National Heritage Area with support from the Louisiana Office of Cultural Development, the Office of the Lieutenant Governor, and the Department of Culture, Recreation, and Tourism. The mission of the Atchafalaya National Heritage Area is to preserve and promote the Atchafalaya's unique heritage by fostering progress for local champions that create authentic, powerful connections between people, culture, and the environment. This is America's Foreign Country. Welcome back to America's Foreign Country, the official podcast of the Atchafalaya National Heritage Area. I'm your host, Caroline. Among the many things Louisiana is known for, perhaps its Louisiana French and Cajun culture is the most widely recognized. If you've ever wondered where that culture came from, you're not the only one. Dr. Mark Reese and the New Acadia Project, or Projet Nouvelle Acadie, are exploring that very history. France established its presence in the New World in 1604 with the arrival of Samuel de Champlain and other explorers. The first families to settle in the land known as Acadia, which is now present-day New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, and Prince Edward Island in Canada, bore names still familiar to Louisianans today, including Boudreaux, Bourgeois, Bro. Como, Cormier, and Thibodeau, just to name a few. These families made the decision to settle in the New World to escape religious violence, disease, and poverty, and to acquire lands of their own. The lands settled by the Acadians were unfortunately considered strategically important by both France and Great Britain, and were passed back and forth between the two superpowers since its settlement. When the Treaty of Utrecht was signed in 1713, it made the Acadians that occupied Nova Scotia British subjects, while Cape Breton and Prince Edward Island remained French. In 1730, British authorities convinced the Acadians to sign an Oath of Allegiance, which the Acadians only agreed to sign on the condition they'd be allowed to remain neutral upon any fight with France or the Native Americans. The Acadians had developed a friendly relationship with the local tribe. This arrangement unfortunately didn't last. British Lieutenant Governor Charles Lawrence saw the Acadians as a threat. Fearing they would rise up if a war with France erupted, and wanting the Acadians' farmland for British citizens, he began exploring ways to deport the group. In 1755, the expulsion began. British troops lured over 400 Acadian men to a church and imprisoned them while they rounded up the women and children for deportation. Many were marched to the coast at gunpoint and divided according to age and gender before being loaded upon transport ships bound for France, the Caribbean, and New England. Nearly 18,000 Acadians were displaced during what is known as Le Grand Derangement, or the Great Upheaval. Families were separated and thousands were killed as a result of exposure, starvation, disease, and violence. But the story doesn't end there. After nearly a decade of wandering, about 3,000 Acadians made their way to Louisiana. Led by Joseph Broussard, also known as Beausoleil, the group made their home in the Attacapaw District, 
what is now the parishes of St. Martin, St. Landry, Iberia, and Lafayette. It is within these parishes in Acadiana that Dr. Mark Reese and the New Acadia Project are searching for the first Acadian settlement and the final resting place of the legendary Joseph Beausoleil Broussard. Hi, my name is Megan Smith, and I am the Education and Outreach Coordinator for the Division of Archaeology here for the state of Louisiana. I'm Mark Reese. I am a professor of anthropology and a registered professional archaeologist at UL Lafayette. I direct the Louisiana Public Archaeology Lab. Now, that's my, my central role. I'm originally from Louisiana. My family's from Louisiana. Uh, going back pretty far from Brobridge, the Brobridge area, the Reese's, although I have a lot of Acadian ancestors, including uh, Broussard, my maternal grandparents, as well as my paternal uh, grandmother was a Broussard. So I uh, became involved in archaeology as an undergraduate at Louisiana State University and then went on to a master's degree in historical archaeology at University of Massachusetts at Boston. Afterwards, I, I worked in contract archaeology or cultural resource management archaeology for a number of years and then ended up going uh, back to school to get a Ph.D. in anthropology, specializing in the archaeology of the late prehistoric period or Mississippian cultures at the University of Oklahoma. It wasn't really until I uh, returned to Louisiana and a job at University of Louisiana at Lafayette uh, that I became interested again in the archaeology of the Acadians. In fact, uh, the, I think the second summer, the summer 2002, uh, took up that interest and looked at an Acadian home site uh, near Lauraville. Megan worked with Dr. Reese on the New Acadia project when she was a student. So Dr. Reese had a quick question for her. I have a question in turn for you, actually, about something I've been thinking about uh, writing about New Acadia. And one of the things I'm doing is sort of remembering uh, Mayor Al, Al Broussard, who was uh, the, the chairman of the New Acadia Project Steering Committee and really our, our greatest supporter and, and proponent of the project locally being the mayor of Lauraville. In fact, the first field visit, the very first field visit I ever made, I rode along with him in his truck and he brought me around to people's houses. And this is before May of 2014, before y'all started on the project. And he introduced me to people and brought me to a couple of the cemeteries. And so I was trying to remember a lot of the other things he had done, done for us, for y'all as well. And I remember vaguely that he brought a, a liquid concoction that he would put on bandanas. And he had a name for it. It's Florida water. Uh, so we actually used it as field work. It's, uh, it's an aftershave. He brought like a a water canister, you know, like a, a water bottle, as well as some water to put in it and a container of, of the Florida water. And to be honest, I think I actually still have it because I just couldn't part with it. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, I, I remember all of that. And uh, the only thing I didn't remember is what it was called, Florida water. Okay. Yeah. 
And if you, I think even if you just Google it, it'll come up with uh, with the actual aftershave. Well, I Googled aftershave water cooling, <laughs> <laughs> but I couldn't get the name Florida water. Uh, I knew it was something like that. Yeah, um, he, was, he was a pretty special person, and he was very, very yeah. helpful for, for us in the field. He was, yeah. Well, y'all both kind of mentioned the New Acadia project. So can you give us, can both of y'all give us a kind of summary or the important things that people should know about this project? Because I hadn't heard of it until I came and uh, started working for the Atchafalaya. So in the summer of 2013, I was invited to Vermilionville Living History Museum to talk about the results of our field school, our archaeology field school outside of Lauraville uh, that we had conducted in the winter of 2002, so a good 11 years prior, to talk about the results of our excavations that revealed the footprint or, or prior location of the house that is now at Vermilionville. And we did really not much work. We did six or seven days total in the field, a little bit more than a week, I think, uh, but enough to document where the house had been located and to correlate it with historical photographs. The house at Vermilionville uh, at the time was described as the Amon Broussard home site, Amon being a son of Joseph Beausoleil Broussard. Um, certainly it's an Acadian house. It's at Vermilionville today. It was also described or, or has been named uh, the Foss Point House from Lauraville. Some Subsequent research recently, more recently, has sort of raised the question as to whether Amon Broussard ever lived in the house. And so I'm uncertain about that now. But I, I took them up on that and talked about the excavations there, how we were able to show that the house was located uh, where it was before it was brought to New Iberia and then transported to Vermilionville. Uh from an archaeological angle, I was interested in the fact that there were artifacts scattered about behind the house in what would be a kitchen midden and outbuilding structures like a barn, and that these artifacts uh, from the midden uh, date from as early as the 1780s or so. And so the, the artifactual remains and the archaeological record are still intact, associated with this house, house site. And so I, I gave a brief description of our week or so spent out there 11 years prior. And when I finished it, I, I lamented in a way the lack of any scientific investigation of the home sites of the Acadians and the associated burial places of Acadians who arrived in 1765, Amon Broussard being one of them, arriving with his parents uh, as a young teenager. Um, however, we know that just over 200, in fact, just over 200 Acadians uh, arrived at the Foss Point area, uh, which is the bend in the Bayou Teche, short, sort of the horseshoe-shaped bend around uh, Lauraville uh, between St. Martinville and New Iberia. And I, I lamented the fact that we had never had a systematic investigation to discover the locations of the home sites and associated burial places of just over 200 Acadians who arrived in 1765, uh, led by Joseph Beausoleil Broussard, his brother Alexandre as well, 
which has been referred to as sort of sort of the origin of Acadiana. Now, a year previously, an Acadian group had settled uh, along the Mississippi River, upriver from New Orleans, and uh, they were a smaller group of Acadians. In fact, they were related to many of the Acadians who settled the next year. Uh, but this larger group then becomes sort of a, a seedbed from which the Acadians spread out to the north, moved in the in the accompanying following years to the north along Bayou Tesh, and then westward onto the Prairie Terrace, established uh, more settlement. And of course, today we, we call it Acadiana. And I expressed sort of dismay that no one had, had looked for these places from an archaeological interest. It would be interesting to know what the artifacts are like and what that can tell us about the material culture of the Acadians during their first year. Because we know it was a, a fairly short-term settlement, although some remained in the area well into the 19th century, and obviously there are Acadian descendants there today. However, many did move out, and we think probably because of the disease, the epidemic that is described in the early months that they encountered. And so the, the burials, just over 30 uh, people died those first few months and were buried at these named campsites named in the historical record, are associated with the, the campsites are associated with the burials. Uh, they're, they're known as Le Dernier Camp Denba, which the historian Carl Brasso actually refers to in his book, uh, the, the founding of New Acadia. There's Camp Beausoleil and Premier Camp Denba, or Premier Camp. Uh, and so these are named places where... Uh, where there were interments of Acadians during these first few months. Um, and you can only imagine the information that we could get if we could recover their material culture, a record of uh, the types of structures that they built uh, during that first year and, and where they lived. I also pointed out to the folks at Vermilionville that, you know, there's an obvious huge interest in terms of heritage. And simply marking these places for commemorative purposes, the founding of New Acadia. I mean, we took the, the name of the project comes directly from Carl Bresso's book, The Founding of New Acadia. Uh, the priest who performed those burials in 1765 said that this is their Nouvelle Acadie. This is where the Acadians hope to reestablish their home sites, reestablish their homeland. And so... Uh, the interests for, for those reasons, as well as the interest in cultural tourism and the uh, potential for development of the cultural economy. Well, I had said that, and uh, only minutes after I finished my talk, I was approached by a number of people uh, who, had, who had attended, saying that they were behind me 100% and that they were going to start fundraising and, and do whatever was necessary to get this investigation started, which really took me by surprise. I mean, it was of the uh, Famille Beausoleil or the Broussard Family Association in attendance for the talk at Vermilionville. But it really, really did take off as a public archaeology project from the very beginning, the interest in, in seeing this done. One of the questions that we had while I was working on the, the New Acadia project, and I, I wonder if you'd be able to answer it real quickly, because I'm sure people listening are going to wonder how are we going to find the sites and if you can, and the most 
important question I think that we always got was, can you find burials? Yeah. Um, well, the, there's a number of sources of evidence for finding both the home site and the grave sites of the Acadians uh, that date from 1765. In a, in a very sort of general sense, we have to start with the evidence for the Acadian settlement, Nouvelle Acadie, at Foss Point, um, because there was some uh, disagreement or, in some instances, just uh, disbelief that that was, in fact, where the Acadians had settled for a number of reasons. But one popular belief is that the Acadians settled further to the north, perhaps on the left descending bank or east bank of the Cache uh, near St. Martinville. Uh, but in fact, you know, if, if anyone has read Carl Bresso's book, then and you know that, that didn't, uh, they didn't follow through with that. In fact, that they, they settled further south. And uh, one key document is a petition by Jean-Baptiste Grevenberg, uh, in which he complains that the Acadians had settled he complains to the colonial authorities that these Acadians had settled on his land um, that he was claiming uh, at La Presque Isle and, and essentially describes uh, the location because we know where Grevenberg's home site was, describes the location, Presque Isle uh, on the Tesh, which is at Foss Point. There's actually a, a even more clear indication of where they were settled from a surveyor by the name of Thomas Hutchins, who wrote in 1784 about the location of where these Acadians settled. He said that, you know, that above about three leagues, which comes out to, I think, six or seven miles above New Iberia, is La, he, he calls it La Force Point. It's Foss Point. And he says it was formally settled by French neutrals. And that is a reference directly to the Acadians. Um, and so he describes Foss Point in 1784 and says that it was formally settled by the Acadians. Um, and then he goes on to describe it a little bit more, including some of the topographic features. So that those two documents uh, alone provide a lot of, of information. Uh, the, the next really key bit of evidence uh, has to do with the Spanish patents or the Patents that were issued recognizing the earlier claims of Acadians and French Creoles who had settled in the area, and and these are uh, documented, and we have you know maps that were produced and published in the Attackapaw Gazette that show these locations, which include, of course, Acadians who had arrived in 1765. That is, some of, of the survivors, including some of the children of uh, Joseph Broussard. Uh, and others, many other Acadians who arrived in 1765, claiming land in 1771, 1772, uh, just about seven years after they had arrived. Now, I have to credit uh, Don Arsenault, uh, avocational historian who has written extensively uh, a published article and then also an article available on the Attackapaw Gazette. Um, and Don Arsenault has put together sort of a a history and detective summary of the evidence on where New Acadia is located using the Spanish patent maps and using a number of historical documents that, that narrow it down quite a bit. I think one of the best pieces of evidence 
is a document that he found that places the Acadians um, who are part of the Alexandre Broussard family uh, further down to the south uh, or further down south of Louisville, in which he found a document that, that indicated that the Acadians had uh, said later on, years later, that that's where they had settled. So there are other documents as well that, that place the Acadians in this general area. Nothing that puts an X on the map or that places them precisely. We're still talking about about a 10-mile-long uh, stretch of the Tesh Ridge around Lauraville. We could perhaps narrow that down to seven or eight miles, but that's still uh, quite a long stretch of Tesh Ridge. And we also have areas on both the, the east and west bank uh, where they may have settled. So at that point, unless we uncover a historical document that identifies more precisely an exact location of a settlement, we are dependent on archaeological survey and also oral tradition, oral histories of uh, people's memories of the area. I, early on in 2013, I think, had uh, done a little outreach and spoken with some local landowners, uh, including Acadian descendants, and asked them where they thought the Acadians had settled. And overwhelmingly, the answer was St. Martinville. And then I would ask in different ways, where around here, where around Foss Point might the Acadians have settled? And I didn't ever get any information that was necessarily helpful in narrowing down areas for archaeological survey. Anytime I asked about home sites, um, it's really only when a student, a uh, student by the name of Ad, Adam Ducey, conducted some interviews with local residents about graveyards, about old abandoned family graveyards, that we began getting more specific locational information. Now, these graveyards, abandoned family graveyards, uh, there's two of which are known that have marked graves, three additional locations where people say there are burials, but there are no marked graves. Uh, and so these are places of potential burials. Uh, we have not conducted any excavations at the, the latter places looking specifically for graves. But this was interesting to me because while no one really could discuss even uh, the location of any home site from Acadians from 1765 around Foss Point, uh, there was certainly lots of people who had memories of old graveyards old family graveyards. And the cemeteries with graves that are marked, so far as we know, the earliest burials date from the 19th century, from the 1800s. And so there's no historical evidence or evidence from oral history that these are, in fact, burial places of the Acadians from 1765. We don't have that information, but it it allows us to sort of form a hypothesis, and, and that is that people may have remembered the locations of graves, especially the graves of their ancestors, their parents or grandparents, for a longer period than they might have remembered a place where they settled initially and perhaps lived for one year or less even. And of course, the places are associated. That is, the, the 
uh, home sites of where the Acadians set up homes, shelters to live for those first few months and year or actually probably several years, probably into these uh, 1770s. We're talking like what I think is about seven or eight years uh, in some cases. And then the, the nearby burials or the near nearby graves that are recorded. And so it, it seemed to me right away, and we began looking into this as early as 2014 when the field work began, that one of the ways to find the settlements, to find the early home sites, is to look at these places uh, that are purported to have unmarked graves and the places that we know are abandoned cemeteries. Based on a hypothesis that people may have remembered these places as burial places for many more years later and continued to use them as burial places, continued to use them as uh, cemeteries. And so that that's sort of a an idea that these uh, graveyards might be sort of anchors for new Acadia. Uh, there are, after all, Acadians uh, buried there that were buried there in the 19th century, in the 1800s. And so that allows us to focus our survey, gives us another strategy for focusing surveys to look for artifacts that date from the 1760s uh, by beginning around the abandoned cemeteries and places that are purported to contain unmarked graves. So for you, what would you say has been the most exciting discovery that has come from this project? What has excited you the most that y'all have uncovered or learned? Hmm. Probably no single artifact, but the, you know, the recovery of an artifact that dates earlier on, you know, a piece of uh, creamware, ceramic, or even better, a piece of tin enamel ceramic or a kaolin pipe stem uh, that dates from the 18th century can be exciting. But I, I think the real excitement is that we are narrowing down the likely locations for the different home sites from 1765. And part of that is narrowing it down by excluding areas that we have surveyed. It, it, it really is a methodical, systematic process of uh, excluding places that could be locations, but for which we, we're not uncovering any, any artifacts dating from the right time period. Now, people lived all along the Tesh Ridge, just about the entire length of the Tesh Ridge, all around Foss Point, and we find artifacts associated with home sites, uh, both, you know, when the Acadians were there and much, much later, uh, 19th and 20th century, as well as before that, Native American uh, home sites that, that predate the 18th century. And so narrowing it down by recovering artifacts that date later or earlier, but not to the time period that we're looking for, and then beginning to put X's or flags on a map, dots on a map of where we are uncovering 18th century artifacts and correlating those with the Spanish patents uh, that, again, date from 1771-72 that were given to Acadians uh, who had arrived in 1765, recognizing their earlier land claims and then going to those locations and saying, well, where on these patents, where on these land claims are there earlier artifacts that could be correlated with a home site? The New Acadia Project has received a couple of grants from the Atchafalaya National Heritage Area. Can you talk a little bit about that? 
Absolutely. I mean, the, the funding that um, that was provided went directly to providing uh, support for student assistance, and the students were paid. Uh, and that was actually our last field uh, expedition in the summer of 2019. Hard to believe. It's been a while. Uh, we were planning a summer 2020 visit, but that got scrubbed. But in the summer of 2019, I was able to use the uh, A-N-H-A uh, support to go to back to Lauraville and look at some of the sites that we had visited before and to focus specifically on using ground penetrating radar. We've been using magnetometry and gradiometry to look at a number of sites and using the ground penetrating radar, we were able to collect some data that was really very encouraging actually showing anomalies or subsurface disturbances more strongly that were not affected by metal in the environment on the surface, metal structures. There's a lot of metal, as you might imagine, utilities, but also buildings and other things that make the remote sensing from magnetometry and gradiometer difficult to interpret. So the ground penetrating radar produced some interesting results some of which we could follow up with some excavation, um, which I'm hoping to be able to follow up with some excavation. And there's additional areas that we'd like to, to do remote sensing. But the, the support directly uh, supported that. I mean, the, the support was good for the, the students to get them out in the field and to, to pay them to get involved in the project. Uh, one of the things I kind of want you to elaborate on a little bit, if you can, is the GPR, the ground penetrating radar, I used to tell people, do you remember watching Jurassic Park and they're shooting this uh, contraption into the ground and it up pops an image of a dinosaur skeleton? It's nothing like huh. that. <laughs> Could you explain what it actually kind of looks like, what it what it reads for you and how, how it actually shows you the data? Well, that's, uh, that is a difficult question because, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words, so it might take me at least a thousand words to try to describe <laughs> what it looks like. I guess if I had to put it in one word, I would say it looks like a blob. That's exactly what I would say. <laughs> yeah, that, you know, you, you are actually producing uh, three-dimensional data, which are interpreted by software which then throw it onto normally a one uh, a two-dimensional screen or printout that shows grayish areas or contour lines um, or maybe a combination of both of those, uh, sort of just uh, grayish areas or light and dark areas. Right. Um, and I, it doesn't actually show you like it, an image of what is underground. Absolutely not. I mean, it shows magnetic highs and magnetic lows. Now, having said all that, there is a possibility of discerning rough shapes. So, for example, if you have a uh, pit that was dug, let's say that was six or seven feet long and rectangular in shape, there's every reason to expect that a good gradiometer result or even a good, uh, you know, good GPR result is going to produce something along the lines of a roughly triangular, maybe with rounded, excuse me, not triangular, rectangular, roughly rectangular shape with rounded edges. You know, it might be a little truncated, but it will look a little artificial. It will look like something that would not occur in nature. 
that can occur. You can, that would probably be the best you could produce or something circular. If you had a, a circular structure in the ground, um, you could produce, you know, these rough geometric shapes uh, rather than a sort of a general blob or, or something less clear uh, that could then be investigated. Either way, regardless, you've got to do a ground truthing excavation. You, you've got to take the data that you've gotten from remote sensing and do at least a small test trench to, to ask, you know, is this natural? Is it cultural? If it is cultural, what's producing it? What is producing this? And for something like gradiometer, um, iron in the soil, you know, old barbed wire fence, for example, which we ran into, produced a very large circular anomaly. It turned out to be schools of barbed wire fence that were just buried about uh, three or four inches beneath the ground. And, uh, you know, so we <laughs> we got uh, misled by that. But it, it really is a matter of having to ground truth what you find on the remote sensing data. How can someone like me, who's not an archaeologist by trade, get involved with the new Acadia project? Well, that's a very good question. <laughs> if you are a landowner, certainly. And I have had a call uh, recently, and, you know, I frequently have phone calls or emails from local residents around Lauraville who are interested in what they have found in their own yard. Um, and so I've been able to go there and look at their collections and see what they have found. Because, again, it's, it's quite likely that landowners have uncovered artifacts in their gardens or just around their houses uh, that date from earlier time periods. And many have and, and have shown me these artifacts. And that helps us greatly because they, they have, you know, knowledge from you know, decades of living there, whereas we might just spend a week or so there and, and not come across anything. If you are not a local resident or a local landowner, uh, we have had volunteers for the project. I guess, I guess the real need right now is for a uh, staff that is working on the project in the field. Um, my role as uh, director of the Louisiana Public Archaeology Lab and a professor is primarily teaching and managing a number of different projects. In the time that I have available to me for New Acadia, I'm writing up the results from, from really, I'm trying to tally the years from 2014, although we weren't out every single year, summers and winters. I think it is five summers and two winter sessions. So essentially seven field expeditions, if you will. Uh, those summer expeditions lasting about eight weeks the winter expeditions, just about four weeks, producing uh, thousands and thousands of artifacts. And so the artifacts have been washed, and many of them have been cataloged, but going through that entire collection and making sense of it and doing the background history and bringing that together with the artifacts and producing a report that indicates our findings and suggests where we should go next. So that's where I am at present. It's not that we can't continue doing field work at the moment. It's simply that we're shorthanded. I don't have anyone uh, on hand to do that. I am planning on doing some additional field work, hopefully over spring break, 
so this semester, this university semester, or during spring break, and I'll be reliant on student volunteers from UL Lafayette, as well as perhaps two paid field assistants. But, you know, that's going to be a fairly brief effort. That might be five or six days in the field uh, doing additional field work. Outside of that, really, in order to take on volunteers to do field work, we need more staffing. We need uh, archaeologists on staff who can lead the volunteers on a expedition or doing field work. It's without a doubt the most interesting archaeological project that you can think of that you would want to do in a place called Acadiana. But at present, we don't have any full-time staff dedicated to that project. And so and my time is very limited that I can spare to go out and do field work. And something to keep in mind is that for every week of field work that you might do, you're going to produce months of work for cataloging, analyzing artifacts, and writing up the results. And so staffing is an issue. We need to have uh, a group of people who are working on it. My, my primary goal right now is really to get this report completed so that I can use that as a sort of springboard to get additional funding to hire staff to take on volunteers to go do additional field work. Because certainly there are, there's no shortage of places I'd like to go survey and like to go study further. In fact, there's some key places that we'd like to go investigate, that I would like to go investigate, including areas around the cemeteries that I mentioned uh, two in particular, one uh, known cemetery and one probable or unmar- uh, place of unmarked graves, uh, where we would like to go survey for potential presence of 18th century Acadian home sites. If anyone listens to this and wants to support the new Acadia project, then they can certainly do that uh, by making a donation uh, to the Acadian Museum in ERAF. Um, in fact, the Acadian Culture and Heritage Foundation uh, has been our uh, supporter, a nonprofit that is supporting the New Acadia Project. Or listeners can make a donation uh, to the New Acadia Project uh, through the UL Lafayette Foundation. We do have a Facebook page. There's a New Acadia Project Facebook page with photos, photographs of lots of field work since uh, 2014. I think uh, hundreds of photographs from field work, including artifacts. And we have people comment, uh, including local residents who contact me through it, through Facebook. And then I'm sure you will let the Division of Archaeology know about any public archaeology days that you might have coming up, such as over spring break, maybe? It's not scheduled yet. We don't have the date scheduled yet. Of course, I also have to get landowner permission because all the property is privately owned along the Bayou Tesh. But as soon as I do have the dates and have uh, volunteers at the university, uh, at least two students uh, that I'll uh, be contacting after we have those dates and we have that confirmed, then I'll let you know and we can certainly take on uh, a couple of volunteers who might be interested if someone wanted to get into the field of archaeology, if there's a high schooler listening or a young kid or even someone in college that's still trying to figure out what they want to do, what advice would you give them? Well, I, I would give advice to any uh, high school or college student 
interested in archaeology to go into uh, archaeology focusing on Louisiana or any other local state in the U.S. And the reason being that there are plenty of jobs. There's plenty of uh, career opportunity in doing archaeology and cultural resource management in the U.S. And there's any number, there's endless opportunities for volunteering and for getting involved in research um, in the U.S. Rather than going, you know, for the, the so-called exotic locations, you know, in, uh, say, South America or in Europe or in Africa, um, it, it's not that that archaeology is less interesting or, or to many people it's more interesting. Uh, my, my point really is, is that if you think long term in the way of a career, most archaeologists who uh, get degrees in the U.S. end up studying in the U.S. and, and doing research research on archaeological sites in the U.S. Um, and so it makes a lot of sense to me to focus on home, to look around locally. And really, we have a shortage in Louisiana of archaeologists studying in Louisiana from universities. Uh, we could use many more people uh, following up all sorts of sites, not just the Acadian settlement, but many, many other topics uh, in Louisiana archaeology that deserve study and are incredibly interesting. And that might be a topic for another day, but I could mm -hmm. go through a, a long list of incredibly interesting research topics on Louisiana archaeology that at present are either understudied or being entirely ignored. And so I, I would say look locally if you're interested in archaeology. Uh, look locally first in terms of the archaeology in your own backyard. Yeah, and I'll second that <laughs> as someone from the Louisiana Division of Archaeology. And I'll also <laughs> add that uh, you're welcome to contact me, msmith at crt.la.gov, if you have any questions or concerns about you know, ways you could get involved. And we also have a lot of educational materials on our website. Special thanks to Dr. Mark Reese and Megan Smith for speaking with me today. Information for this episode came from the Canadian Broadcast Channel and 64 Parishes. Our music is by Jordan Thibodeau at La Rodaille, with permission from Valcor Records. The National Heritage Area Program is a partnership with the National Park Service. NHAs are designated by Congress as areas that tell nationally significant stories through natural, cultural, and historic resources. Designated in 2006, the goal of the Atchafalaya National Heritage Area is to preserve and promote the natural, recreational, and cultural resources surrounding the Atchafalaya River and its basin. For more information about the Atchafalaya National Heritage Area, visit www.achafalaya.org. That's www.achafalaya.org. You can learn more about the Louisiana Office of Cultural Development at crt.state.la.us slash cultural development. Support for this show comes from the Louisiana Office of Cultural Development, the Office of the Lieutenant Governor, and the Louisiana Department of Culture, Recreation, and Tourism.